Today is June 23rd, 2019, and this is Crowdsource Politics. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm your host and moderator, Anthony Strain. And today I'm joined by Art Black, Dylan Capitavilla, Matteo de Gaulle, and Matthew Trawick. On our last episode, we covered Biden, Klobuchar, and Williamson, and the intent was to cover a handful of Democratic 2020 primary contenders leading up to the first debate. But fuck that. We honestly don't have the time, and frankly, we got a little bit bored looking into all 22 candidates. And can you blame us? So this will be our last episode going into the first Democratic debates. Today, we are going to cover a few of the top contenders, Harris, Sanders, and Warren. Without further ado, let's start the show. So I think we should just go in alphabetical order and start with Harris, the cop. Any objections? I'm good with Harris. I, I, I kind of object to her being president, but she's probably better than Biden. <laughs> All right. Why? Why do you? What's your uh, primary objection to her? My primary objection to her is largely that I see her as part of the establishment, just in a prettier body, darker skin. I wouldn't take you for an anti-establishment guy. Oh wait, yeah, you are. Never mind. What? I mean, she definitely toes the party line in many ways. It's pretty much all thanks to them that she even got where she was this fast. I mean, fair point. So fucking the former, the former mayor probably helped. Well, that helps start. That's a hard one. I mean, it hurt. Can 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 we say it didn't hurt? Well, she had to win an election. No, but um, what, what's what's uh, besides being the establishment? Are there any po- policies uh, that you would look at where she's you don't think she's good on? Um. Okay, I'm not really gonna hammer her for her um history as being part of the prosecutorial side of things. A lot of those issues were actually pretty important to the black community. I'm probably not too concerned with her positions on healthcare, but I just have a feeling like she wants to do things Washington as usual. I think she doesn't really have like the experience with like federal government that she really should have. Like Hillary understood like every aspect of it. Same thing with Biden. He probably does too. Whereas Harris is kind of just like, uh, she's smart. She could learn. She'll definitely learn the job. It's just, it doesn't feel safe just going with that. I mean, is that really going to be a huge hindrance? I mean, it's not like Trump had much experience, and he's already been the greatest. Case in point would be or or Obama. Obama, we got lucky with Obama. We got very lucky with Obama. Well, potentially, but you know, when you get down to the presidency, you know, and we can laugh about Kamala as a cop and all that, but you're basically an executive at the top of a very large bureaucracy that largely runs itself. And what it needs more than anything is kind of having the right guidance and mindset, putting the right people in place. I mean, if the, we really needed Trump to run the U.S. government, we would have crashed and burned at the first week. You know, it's largely the machine that runs itself. It just can be improved or made worse by the people you put into place. So anytime we get a president, that's kind of what we're looking at is, you know, who is this person going to appoint and how are they going to affect, you know, this massive, you know, I don't, not deep state per se, but, you know, it's a... Uh, it's an enduring system that you know functions regardless of kind of who's in charge. That's the thing, though. She's picking who runs these things, and she could be easily swayed by party pe- people within the party who may not have her best intentions in mind because she doesn't know any better. Oh, absolutely. She wouldn't be able to analyze it as in-depth as like uh, Hillary or Biden would. I think Dylan has a point to, to make. 
Yeah, so I, I was going to say that I actually I agree with Mateo on this one in that uh, experience is it's definitely beneficial and I think it's definitely important. Uh, not necessarily, you know, executive experience, but experience on dealing with national issues, uh, dealing with foreign policy, economics. Those are all very different than dealing with those issues on a state level. Yeah, but when you're talking about someone like uh, Harris, you know, and Biden to an extent, but you know, any of these guys who we say, oh, they're too establishment. From a certain standpoint, you know, if you're not in the system, you know, that could be seen as a positive as being anti-establishment. For the actual system, the establishment itself does like establishment. So if Harris gets in there with the Democratic establishment, you know, basically at her back, I mean, she personally is just ambitious. I mean, that was her role in California, or that was kind of her play, was just to do things that were good for, for Kamala, but also, you know, through the Democratic Party. If she becomes president you know, she's going to be basically joined at the hip with the Democratic Party. And there's a lot of people out there who see that as a stabilizing force. Yeah, they probably are going to give a lot of influence for her. And you know, we could say, oh, maybe it'll be, you know, something won't be in her best interest. But, you know, people by and large trust the Democratic Party more than, you know, let's say what's going on right now. It's at least seen as something that's looking long term and it's stable and it's safe, even if it's not ideal. You know, it might be too beholden to Wall Street or whatever, but um, it's not a risk. You know, the, the choices that Harris would make, even if they were just establishment choices, you know, if nothing else, would be good for stability. I think those are all very good points. Um, I would just I would just say that her lack of experience. Well, it, yeah, I wouldn't I definitely wouldn't say it's disqualifying. I think the, uh, you know, the most important part is can she do the job? And I think the obvious answer is yes, but it's definitely uh, a positive that other people have, that other candidates have, uh, that she does not. For me, it's more, can she be taken advantage of by other people within the party? Like, that's what I look at it. Not so much, like, technical experience with, like, appointing people. It's like, you have a lot of competing interests even within the Democratic Party, and you could get, like, just uh, recommendations for all these people that, who are not exactly going to work as in favor of Kamala as they would maybe some other... Uh, goal. That's weird. More of a predatorial vibe from Kamala than I do of a prey vibe. I agree with you, uh, and I think that's how a lot of people see her. Uh, I think a lot of her her public perception is that she's an opportunist. Um, I don't actually mind that she's an opportunist. I look at opportunists in politics as a good thing if they're advocating things I want. I think that's a reasonable mindset. Her views on guns are horrible. <laughs> well, according to you, pretty much anybody in the Democratic establishment's views on guns is going to be horrible, so... Depending. Can, can, yeah, can, can you be more specific? Well, it depends. If they're saying things that are factually incorrect or just completely delusional, yeah. Now, can you be more specific? Uh, she wants to ban assault weapons, and she thinks that'll change something. Does she actually think it'll change something, or is this going into the opportunist card, and it's just really what a lot of people in the Democratic Party's base want? Well, for her sake, I hope she's smart enough to realize it's bullshit, and she's just advocating it, but I don't know about that. I think a lot, even a lot of Republicans think that way. They, they just don't, not everyone knows about guns. We should just ban all of them so that we don't have to get into the nuance and not <laughs> solution. <laughs> I'm with Trawick on this one uh, as, as far as the mindset goes, which is that I don't mind opportunism as long as I actually expect you to implement policies that I agree with. But when you're talking about opportunists, 
what they actually believe in and what they actually are going to uh, support once they reach office is it's less clear than I guess you would consider to be operating on principle. I mean, opportunism is a principle in and of itself. In a way. See, this is one of the things I kind of like about Tulsi when she's not talking foreign politics or anything where she gets into that territory where you just want to beat her over the head with a shovel. God, that's that's like 99% of the time I hear Tulsi is I want to beat her over the head with a shovel. <laughs> I don't understand the love or the hate for her. There's like so, it's like two extremes almost, and there's not very many like mild. I think I can explain that a little bit. So I think part of that is explained by the fact that uh, she came off as very opportunistic uh, when she dropped out of her DNC chairship. Well, not chairship, but whatever her position was. And um, to back Bernie Sanders, a lot of people saw that that she was doing that. And that I also think that a lot of the, the love for her are just from a bunch of dudes that want to fuck her. See, but that's actually interesting how the party shunned her. And it just kind of goes from the top down. It's almost like a cultural change in a company, how they all just hate her now. It's so weird. It's like bizarre. Well, it's an establishment thing non-establishment it's like regular people just like really just rail against her and don't get me wrong she's not good by most measures like i'm not defending her but i just don't understand the passion about it okay um i actually have a few points on that uh, i actually got the exact same vibe when she dropped out that it was an opportunistic movement um, on her part because she saw trends in the democratic party and was making a prediction um, I only think about 20% of her support is people who want to fuck her. I think a large part of her support is um, that really stupid part of the extreme liberal set who still thinks Russia didn't hack the DNC and that Hillary Clinton killed her campaign guy. Ah, uh, the Seth Rich conspiracy strikes again. Yeah. I mean, obviously, she didn't kill him. She had somebody else do it, but yeah. <laughs> Those days are far, far past her. <laughs> right? She's got people for that. Yeah, the reason I dislike Gabbard is, is it's not out of anything nebulous or, or abstract. It's her position and her actions regarding Bashar al-Assad. Um, the fact that she went and spoke to him in the middle of the Syrian civil war and is backing him up. That's that's very that that's the reason I just on that issue. Yeah, that's some bizarre behavior. It's like Ron Paul shit. I would say that that's probably a good portion of why people don't like her. She did that and went against Obama, and that pissed off a lot of people. But Treywick's got another point to make. Go ahead, dude. Um, see, that's the kind of thing that really registers with that extreme sect of the liberals who doesn't think Russia did anything wrong. They also tend to be Bashar al-Assad fans who think that every time um, the U.S. accuses anyone of doing anything wrong, it's just an excuse for imperialism. And it's like, no, that's only true 25% of the time, dumbass. I'm sorry, are we not Uncle Bashar fans in here? <laughs> I want to replace him and uh, bring about the caliphate. So this got off a little track, but this is good because we're covering more people. Let's go ahead and bring it back to Harris. What are some of your guys' opinion on her uh, as far as foreign policy is concerned, since this is kind of the tangent that we're in? 
when she was a attorney general in California, she went after international gangs pretty heavily, and she's going to probably continue to do that because she she's familiar in that area. And that's actually not a bad thing at all. That's probably better than domestic gangs these days. Do you have uh, any specific examples that you can bring up? Uh, I don't actually. I just saw like an interview with her and Preet Bharara, basically where they were just like praising her about it. I forget what they were talking about. I could look something up real quick. I'm guessing things like the triad. Possibly. I mean, they still they are still active within California, but so are pretty much any other international gang. <laughs> yeah, you know that's a really interesting take on things because I always considered Kamala to be you know without foreign policy experience, but that actually the fact that she operated within California and dealt with those gangs is I that is actually valid foreign policy experience. She's right? actually pretty famous for what she's done from the way they were talking about it, and definitely uh, Preet was. So for them to be together, it seemed like she was being made to be a big deal this was a long time ago too huh let me find it uh you know so even even though i would consider that valid like does does her experience with international criminal criminal elements does that necessarily give her foreign policy experience in the big things right like does that does that give her foreign policy experience in diplomacy in in managing relationships with countries like Iran or probably gives her a lot of fraud experience, which is insane. Like there's so much fraud going on right now, credit card fraud and everything. I'm trying to actually look it up. Well, so what what about her stance on let's say a thing that's close to art's heart, uh UBI with her lift act? Does anybody have an opinion on that? Well, I think it's a good start. Any move towards UBI is a good start. Yeah, I mean, Harris is not a, a, a ideological visionary. I mean, she's not like a Bernie Sanders who has this raft of ideas or Liz Warren that has a lot of policies. She really is kind of running as an avatar of the establishment, but you know, maybe of uh, a different generation, you know, um, not from the uh, late Jurassic, but from maybe something, <laughs> you know, a little more contemporary. Uh, so as far as that goes, you know, she's going to take in ideas that, you know, maybe not necessarily are going to be stuff that, you know, she came up with or, or all that. None of these ideas are, I guess, you know, all of that new. But um, I think from Harris, it's going to be a lot more, like you said, opportunistic or things that pull well. And, you know, to a certain extent, that might not be a bad thing. Well, as far as the uh, the Lift Act is concerned, one of the, the things that uh, left-leaning media brought up with it was the fact that it's very close to being good, but because it's basically an expansion on the earned income tax credit, that it leaves out a whole slew of really poor poor people, and it would be better if they just took the money that they said they're going to give people as refundable tax credits and just gave it to people directly, um, not tying it to work. But that goes into the whole, hey, we're still kind of Calvinistic, Protestant. We still want to punish people that don't really work. So what's the angle there within the Democratic Party? Do you think people are more going to be agreeing with like an increased in income, earned income tax credit? Or do you think they're more along the lines of just give it to anybody? Tax credit. Yeah, the, the LIFT Act that she's proposing, I wouldn't even consider it a UBI. What it really is, is just an additional tax break. But it's kind of being sold in, in the vein of UBI just because, just because Andrew Yang exists, basically, um, and because that idea has, has really become very popular in the last six months. 
um, it's existed for a long time, but it's become popular in the last six. I, I think it very much reflects her position with within the spectrum of Democratic candidates in that it's very much a moderate policy, kind of, in that it still appeals to, like you said, that 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 principle, that idea that you can't reward people with cash who aren't working, um, which I think is kind of a paradox in itself to me. Yeah, no, people are definitely going to go for the tax credit instead of just straight cash for everyone. Well, I mean, it is it is basically straight cash, uh, even if it's in the tax credit. Yeah, but it's means tested. It actually goes towards people who we could prove need it instead of just like straight up anybody. That's the important part is the fact that it's means tested. Um, and that's why it will appeal to a broader audience, because a lot of people still have that that. Would you Come on, think it, of a nice way to say it. Yeah, I don't know. Would you call it a principle? The principle. The idea that people who don't work should not be receiving any kind of financial—I uh, don't even want to call it financial assistance. Any, any sure. Other- there's a large people who have like Protestant like uh, backgrounds and everything who that bleeds into, but there's also a lot of people who just understand there's trade-offs that you're giving out money like that nonstop is inflationary, and if you need to cause deflation, you're going to take it away. And who's actually going to do that? It, of course, it's inflationary, but that that would apply whether it's means tested or not. The important part, the reason it appeals to them, is because it's tested, and it's not just people who have a Protestant background. That's that's a pervasive American culture thing. That's not just Protestant. right, but Even which is really- tied to Protestantism. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean it's it, tied to our. It it's a latent effect of Protestantism. That's definitely where it originated, but it's expanded beyond that uh, now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's not just it's not just people who are, you know, like lapsed Protestants or descendants of lapsed Protestants who believe that kind of thing. We're all wasps now, guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think another thing that we need to point out though is that uh while it is means tested, the the ceiling is actually fairly high where a lot of middle class families would get some money and the drop off isn't very steep. So you hit the ceiling pretty high and then the drop off um after you you meet the the income threshold is like eighty thousand a year or something like that for a family of four. It's it's something it's solidly middle class on average across America, uh, but in cities like uh, San Francisco or New York, you would be barely um, middle class. So with, with should, that. should so, we actually explain? Should we actually explain what the what the Lift Act is to any of our listeners who might not know? Uh, yeah, that actually might be a good idea. Uh, well, do you want to do that? It's essentially just uh, raising the earned income tax credit um, for and raising the the ceiling so that it applies to a lot of middle class uh, households that it wouldn't have applied to before that it doesn't apply to now. It's kind of cash assistance for for middle class families. I'm, I'm, do either, any of you know whether how it affects lower income families? Does it raise the amount that they would be getting at all? I don't know that. It raises the amount that every person working up to, I want to say, $80,000 would be getting under the earned income tax credit. Uh, It's fairly steep. So the amount of money that you get is more the is more the more time you work, but also more for the the impact is more for people that are lower. It's a UBI for people who actually need it. Uh, I wouldn't call it a UBI. Yeah, kind but of. It's, 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 Effectively, it's like UBI for people who just need it instead of for everyone. It's discriminate. 
I would say it's kind of like a back room big or basic income guarantee. Yeah, well, I think the, the, the important, what distinguishes it from a UBI is that it's means tested. And a UBI very specifically is not means tested. And those means are very high now, so there's really no reason for a UBI. <laughs> but, but right. Um, Actually, yeah, what is the reason for a UBI? I always hear all these, we're always talking about it, but why, what's, what warrants it? Honestly, I think that would be its own show, and we shouldn't get so off track on it. I completely <laughs> agree, because I could talk about that for the next two hours. Because it sounds to me like, you know, the Lyft Act actually targets people who need it, while UBI is just, you know, it's it's a political, I don't know, it's like really, I don't know the word I'm looking for. We definitely should dedicate a whole episode to this later. Yeah, true. We're talking about presidential candidates. But the yeah. short answer is that it's class warfare. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just leave it at that. But we could, we should definitely have a different, uh, a specific show on that because yeah. we could literally go all night on that one. I would I would love to do that definitely. for our next show. Absolutely. All right. I guess we have. Hey, everybody, we got our next show already. We're going to do UBI next. All right. Yeah, we need more finance and economics in this. The first thing that's going to happen is anything that gives. Lower income people might want to be viciously opposed. I don't know. Republicans are going through an identity crisis. They might actually go for it in, in certain sections. Certain sections. I mean, come on. There's going to be the old school people who are just the same. I agree with Mateo on this in that I don't think... That scumbag Tucker Carlson. I don't think Republicans and conservatives are so are necessarily opposed to helping the poor. Um, at least not in the way that they used to be. They're not. They just have different ideas and philosophies about how to help them. People who say Republicans don't want to help the poor just either don't care or they're joking. Or they're idiots. Yeah, true, but that usually leads to a lack of care. I mean, it, it is an ideological divide about how to go best to go about it. I think that used to be a very commonly held belief, which is that people are poor you know, kind of deserve to be poor, but that's changed, you know, in the last, oh, it's changed gradually over the last 50 years. And in the last, probably since Bush, uh, it's changed very quickly. Yeah, I can agree with that. I miss Mitt Romney. <laughs> <laughs> that a Democrat proposes is going to be viciously opposed by the right. Uh, no, I can still agree with that. You got a D next to your name. You're, you're still toxic to a lot of people. Unless your name is Andrew Yang. Yeah, that's partisanship. These people are right. weird. It's like a religion for them. I don't know. I think they would still turn on Andrew Yang. Oh, yeah. They, de they definitely would. Oh, hell yeah, would. they would. Yeah, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's a sociological thing. It's an identity thing. They used to call Mitt Romney Obamney, and then when he got the nomination, they were like talking so much great shit about him after that. <laughs> and, and then after he lost, they went back to talking bad shit about him. I was kicked out of a Republican group for pointing out that Romney was going to lose. Jeez. I, I think that we have a good segue, though, to uh, continue on with Harris. She also has a plan for getting people um, money for training so that the Lift Act would actually lift them up after they got a job. See, that's great. I like that a lot, actually. No, it's useless. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, you, you really can't retrain people, uh, especially you got some 50-year-old trucker who's not going to have a job or retail people. Screw to get those guys. Work. I'm talking about everyone. These people that didn't like school when they were 20. I mean, now they're 50, and you're going to put them into school so they can learn how to code. 
Wait, are we talking realistic. about retraining them to code, or are we just talking about training for anyone at any age level? Training for training on anyone's age level, but Dylan wants to break in, so let's go ahead and let him break in. Yeah, I think Art is is completely correct on this, to a limited degree. I mean, training programs do work for people who are relatively untrained, but to retrain someone from one industry to another, it, it's it's very difficult. It almost never happens. So just, just to piggyback off of that, though... Uh, this this particular thing isn't just like well we're going to teach coal coal miners to code like it's not yeah, exactly. like that like, that's all <laughs> I ever hear about this type of stuff like a truck driver for coal has to somehow now make computer programs it's like how? it's it's yeah go ahead Mateo Sorry. no I was just going to make a stupid sarcastic joke and it's not even worth it it's not good <laughs> <laughs> of course it is I was like how the hell are we going to get this truck driver a new job? And it's like, I know, we'll teach him how to code. It's like, or drive. <laughs> to be fair, actually, a lot of trucking jobs, you need to code now. They're getting actually pretty tech uh, heavy. So that ruins my joke. The basics of this thing is that it would give workers up to $8,000 for job training. And the job training would be pretty uh, open to a bunch of different things. Um, you know, nursing, at-home care, you know, coding like not everybody's going to take the coding thing but that's going to be a part of it this is all uh, coding <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's actually um the one thing that i haven't heard from any candidate though in this is the the idea of not teaching people a new job but trying to find people a way to start their own business well that's actually not a great idea because businesses fail very often especially new ones true and that's like you know that's investing i completely disagree with that point which is just because they failed doesn't mean it's not worth it to have as many people trying as possible why not just have them buy stocks with that money then that's the same thing you're investing in companies because that doesn't tap into someone's passion necessarily it also doesn't make sure that there doesn't help them actually uh work what if it does what if using that money to buy stocks is their passion like what kind of businesses well like for instance like a bunch of people especially on um or at least where i came from wanted to start everybody has like their restaurant fantasy right right restaurants go under <laughs> restaurants go under all the time don't get me wrong but i'm saying yeah they're garbage unless you sell a ton of alcohol you're gonna fail but i'm saying though that like if you can find if you find somebody that's you know that's been poor or just not have the capital, but it can actually teach them the ins and outs of business, and they actually have a pretty good plan. I don't see why the job training should not include that. Oh, definitely, yeah. Give them like a lot of business courses or something at a on at a university or online. Here, here's the other thing, which is that I, you know, start trying to start your own business. If you have the time, the resources, and the opportunity to do it, you're going to be much more. There's a much higher chance of you being successful. Uh, then, you know, trying to do it and then like working for four or five years to save up the, the capital that you need just to get off the ground. And not only that, but if you try to start your own business, that's experience, that's worthwhile experience that you can take to other jobs, even if it doesn't succeed. At what cost? If it, and if you do succeed, well, that's the thing. When you're, when you're talking about cost, you also have to talk about the benefits of the people who do succeed, who otherwise would not have without those, those, those resources. And is there enough demand in the world to give all these people businesses or? No, no. See, that's the thing. It wouldn't be every, not everybody's going to jump up the opportunity to do this. A lot of people will start it and be like, oh no, fuck this. This isn't for me. But 
and then that money's already spent though when they're like ah oh, fuck this but but is spending that money necessarily a bad thing and i don't think it is I, I think it is if it's a if it's a negative trade-off yeah see i i think the overall benefit is going to be greater um with more people trying than it would be other if the benefit is that of a regular checking account or a savings account you know it's you're not doing it's a bad investment as far as the uh, retraining and the uh, starting in business and all that, you know, to a certain extent, if you have like a big tier of people out there who might be getting, you know, losing their, their career, their job, trucking's going away, retail's going away, but these people have a dream and if they had some capital and some training, they might be able to make it into something. There is a tier of people out there that that could help. It's not going to help everybody because there's a lot of people that are really only qualified just by nature. I mean, they're basically unskilled labor people. They, they, you know, they need a good job that's not super complicated, that is close to where they live, that's basic. And, you know, that's, people have different things. You have different levels of aspiration and talent and all that. And we've traditionally always been able to put the full range of humanity to work, either from the very smartest and most intricate of jobs to some stuff that's just real basic. Just, you know, toilets need to be scrubbed. Atoms need to be split. You know, there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen. We're just turning into a economy where it's getting harder and harder to rationalize paying people to do things, you know, that are of a certain basic level or stuff that can be automated away. So that's kind of what we have to wrestle with is, you know, does everyone need the chance to start a business? Does everyone need to be retrained? Like, what are we actually going to do with all these people as our economy changes? And it's... I mean, that's a tough question. It's, you know, I don't think anyone really has the answers to that. Uh, I, I would just like to state for the record that I completely endorse everything Art just said. I think what Art said is never not true. Like, there's never been a time where we could just say this is where we knew the world was going. Even the internal combustion engine is like a foreign alien technology to where it was 50 years ago. No, nah, not mm-hmm. 50, but mm-hmm. more like 100. Yeah. But, okay, so speaking of things that happened 100 years ago, let's go ahead and move over to Sanders, who's rebooting the, the New Deal 2.0. What's your, what's your guys' thoughts on Sanders? Uh, I think he's kind of a naive, almost never grew up kind of politician. An idealistic person or just? Far too idealistic. And like some of the things he says and does is just like beyond dumb. Like, he'll criticize Hillary Clinton for being close to Wall Street, and it makes sense. She was a New York senator. You are going to be close with the most major, like, uh, revenue generation system in the state. Just like Bernie Sanders was, like, uh, very comfortable with uh, the gun lobby. Yeah. It's just, it makes sense, but he didn't under, he doesn't see it that way. And to me, that's just, like, a very immature way of confronting politics. I'm sorry. Which is worse, uh, being very close to Wall Street or not? I don't think either is worse. There's not enough information to go on there. Uh, as a general principle, considering what Wall Street does. Uh, finance? What's wrong with finance? Yeah, investing companies. What does Wall Street do? Hold on, hold on. What does Wall Street do? Well, they come up with complicated instruments in order to gamble. Essentially, is what they do now. Gamble with whose money? Uh, if In the case of derivatives, everyone's money. No, nah, it's not everyone's money. No, it's not my money. I don't. I don't invest in anything. No. Parties with the authority. <laughs> nah, we got yeah. most of the quantitative easing just went to excess reserves. Most of it wasn't even used. You do with quantitative easing. Is that not our money, though? I, 
I would say that the issue with the stock market in general right now is the fact that they've gone from traditional investment where you where you find lenders and meet them with people with good business ideas to these complicated algorithmic generated trading instruments in order to reduce their risk by shoving it off to other people and that's Wall and that's Street. exactly and that's exactly what happened with the derivatives market but and is that Wall Street is that generally what goes on in all those institutions I would say that a large portion of their business, especially with Goldman Sachs, was definitely in the derivative trading. Dylan, do you have something to break in with? Yeah, I just wanted to bring this back to Bernie Sanders, uh, which is overall, I mean, Bernie Sanders, is he's, he's kind of the ultimate anti-establishment candidate right now. Uh, he's pretty much the same candidate he was four years ago, expected. But I, I would say, yeah, he's too old. I, I would say that right up front is that he's too old to be running for president. Uh, and I think I think Trump is also too old to be running for president. I think that's in Biden. I think they're all too old. Uh, I think I think that's a legitimate issue. So this is an interesting point uh, when you bring up age, is that America is one of the only countries where age ever seems to matter. I, I think it would be naive to think to, to not consider age a factor in a person's ability to do their job. I agree with yeah, there's a clear correlation between age and certain levels. I agree, of but then function. you hit a lot of uh, discrimination laws. Yeah, but what country has some, uh, you know, leaders that are in their seventies? I mean, outside of dictatorships, where people take power in like their thirties. I don't know how old is Abe. Abe has been in power for a while, though. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Is it? I mean, you know, you can say, oh, only in America does this matter. But I mean, look around the world. I mean, you don't really see a lot of countries that are led by old people unless they're people who took power when they were much younger and there's no way to dislodge them off the top of my head like maybe modi how old is modi modi's in his is he over 50s. 70s is he in his 70s yeah no he's 68 according to wikipedia i mean that's really your only way in but he's yeah he's been in power for a little while but think about that modi and trump biden and bernie sanders are all what like 10 years older yeah xi jinping is uh, 66 Vladimir Putin is 66. I mean, you know, they're kids compared to, you know, Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're, when you're 78 years old, you're, there is a very high risk uh, that you're going to have some cognitive decline. And, and that's not just like a, a theoretical thing. That's something we have seen in practice. There is precedent for this. <laughs> you know, you have, you know, Ronald Reagan, like that's not something yeah. that you can just ignore. Uh, whether he's Democratic or Republican, it's something that needs to be taken into consideration. Yeah. Now, there's a part, and I, you, you guys might not be old enough to remember this, but like there was a serious difference between Reagan and like his first term and like near the end of his second. Like the guy was invincible like, in his first term. Like he was kind of funny, lighthearted, but he was also like he'd come across as kind of like a kind of like a, a dumbass sometimes. But then. Just no matter what people did, like, he was always like one step ahead of them. It was kind of uncanny. And in the second like uh, term, especially later on, where he had all the hearings and all that, like you could tell he had lost his mojo. Like something had happened, and you know, I'm sure that. And people even back then said, "Oh, he's just playing this up to try and get out of it." But there was a steady arc if you look at him from like the early '80s to like the early '90s, where you look back on and go, "Oh, yeah, he was on the downhill slide at that point." So, I mean, he, you know, he definitely hit some point in his neural capacity yeah, where I mean, he just lost it. I mean, it just slipped out of his hands. And, I mean, 
people didn't believe it at the time while they were watching it, but then looking back, like, oh yeah, that that was a, a downhill arc. Yeah, I mean, I think I I think that we've already honestly, I think we've already hit that point with Trump. Oh, if yeah. you look at older videos of of Trump, he is he's actually he's more articulate. He isn't yelling all the time. I mean, part of, sharper. Yeah, part of that angry. is part of that is for show, and part of that is just that he's he's actually he's he's on the downhill. He's you know when you are seventy eight years old, you're going to have some cognitive issues. Stable genius, um, and uh, I I. I haven't seen enough of Bernie in person to for sure say that he's already hit that point. And, and someone like Biden, I, I know I missed that episode, my bad. Uh, but he, uh, he was already kind of a klutz <laughs> beforehand. So at this age, there's, you know, there's, there's just no chance that I would take that risk. You could hear it in Biden's voice, actually. There's like, uh, he just sounds like he's going a little bit, like, not like mentally, at least. Like, it just sounds like his body, though, is, he's getting a little older. Well, I think we've beaten this dead horse a little bit. Let's go go ahead to onto another uh, topic with within Sanders. What are, what what about his whole Medicare for all platform? Has been kind of co opted by some of the other candidates. Uh, I think Harris has jumped on and then jumped off that train. Do you think it's fleshed out enough? Do you think it might work? He wants to get rid of private insurance companies, right? Uh, yes, he yeah, thinks the private insurance companies shouldn't exist. Yeah, no, that's a horrible idea. Let, let, let me clarify. He thinks that private insurance companies shouldn't exist for the things that the government insurance will take care of. So if you want, say, LASIK surgery or something like that, you could probably get insurance for that. Or that's just an example I pulled out of my ass. Like, it's not something that he's, he has said. It's just the thing that I can think of. Let's say I'm Kanye West and I want a private doctor instead. That would be outlawed? That would actually be illegal? I think that that would be his thing. I don't think so. But why not give them that option? I don't think that's the case. I think Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All program, which is single-payer health care, uh, I think that it would be, uh, there would still be private health insurance available. I think it would be similar to the NHS, where it would be a luxury product, a secondary luxury product. Yeah, Bernie wouldn't be like a dictator. He wouldn't be able to really get that through Congress, but it's still a bad idea. I don't agree with it. Well, well, and he actually is talking about specifically outlying insurance. Wait, now, seriously? would rich people right. be able to pay cash? Yes, but not insurance. Why not, though? Who cares? Let, they still pay taxes. Let them buy their private insurance if they want to. That's just extra jobs. Well, no, I, I don't disagree. And I think most people that look at Medicare for all look at it and say, well, in the long arc of things, you're going to have sure, this yeah. Medicare for all, which is going to supplant insurance and basically drive most of them out of business. Yeah, exactly. So Let you don't have adjust. to ban them. They're just going to collapse. So, but Bernie's not looking at that. He, he wants to specifically outlaw the practice of selling insurance in the United States. Although, you know, he does concede that if you have enough money, you'll be able to buy stuff in cash as far as additional medical services. Um, wait, wait. When Mateo says it's a bad idea, I want him to clarify if it's better or worse than our current system. Probably worse for the same reason that almost zero countries have single-payer. What do you mean? Well, most countries have single-payer. No, they don't. They have hybrid systems. They have a private op or a public option. Hey. It's like Canada, and I think what is like Taiwan, and then like one other. But how does that make it worse than our current system? Because it causes long waits. It just it 
you need these private insurance companies. I don't know how to like. I wasn't prepared for this question. Um, what I said is, is it better or worse than our current system? Your response was, it's worse because most countries do blank. Yeah, it's worse because it's been tried over and over and over again, and it always leads to a public option. But that doesn't mean it's worse than our current system. Oh, yeah, that's actually fair. Um, I couldn't really say if it is or not because they're both pretty bad, and I haven't really thought about this deep enough to really give you a good answer. Yeah, that's a very fair point. Okay, yeah, so I just want to point out that single-payer healthcare does not necessarily imply that... Uh, private insurance is banned. Single-payer healthcare, by definition, is just a funding mechanism, uh, and single-payer healthcare can be just a public option. Uh, so... There's one payer. Right. Ex I mean, sort of. Yes Yes, and no. Literally. I mean, single-payer is, is, is basically just a funding mechanism in that taxes go to funding a healthcare system. Uh, it doesn't necessarily imply that it's the only healthcare system. Um, like I said, it could be a luxury product. I think they asked Sanders uh, for Sanders' specific uh, version of it, though. I think he actually confirmed that, though. I, apparently, I was wrong on that. Uh, I did not see that speech. Um, I'm looking at his his policy on his website right now, um, and it doesn't mention anything about banning private insurance. So I'll, I'll send you the link for the bill that he put up, but in uh, section 107, prohibition against duplicating coverage. So in general, beginning on the effective date described in section da da da, it shall be unlawful for a private health insurer to sell health insurance coverage that duplicates benefits provided under this act. So basically you're saying if it's anything that is provided under Medicare, basically okay. any form, you okay. can't sell insurance for it. In a speech, he did say, somebody was like, well, that will get rid of private insurance. And he was like, so what? It sucks. <laughs> right. Exactly. Why not? It doesn't suck for people who could afford good insurance. Why not let them just buy it? Those are literally extra jobs that you're outlawing. Public insurance will still exist. These people still pay taxes. As long as we're clear on what exactly it is he's proposing, because that's not something that I knew. Uh, and I don't think, I mean, I think a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters wouldn't really care. But, you know, I think that's something that a lot of them, it's, it's not necessarily clear. Because, like I said, you really have to. It's not on his website. You really have to, to, to see him, hear him say that. I don't know. They're all pretty extreme, man. They don't like many private businesses. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't disagree with um, what the points you're bringing up are, but I will take almost any compromise for universal health care. What do you mean? Like, I, I'm not done with that specifically. But if that's what's being offered, I'll support it. Okay, yeah. Uh, I, I guess I just wanted to be clear before that when you're talking about single-payer healthcare, the, the, the phrase single-payer healthcare could apply to either a public option or, not, or you know, what Bernie Sanders has proposed. Not how I use the word. I, I think that there's been not deliberate muddying but partly deliberate muddying uh on this because dylan is partly right but people that are uh diehard sanders supporters would not do that so then what's the difference if I'd, I'd like to know uh can you rephrase the question so i know exactly what you're asking uh what define single payer then if it could mean both like to a lot of uh, Sanders supporters, they think of a single insurance company, essentially, or an NHS system, right? 
but to a lot of to to what Dylan was saying, like in Germany, they have a single somewhat of a single payer system, but they have multiple insurance providers. So the government doles out all the money to the insurance providers, and then they pay their their doctors or whatever. Um, they also don't they also don't allow for profit uh, healthcare uh, in a lot of a lot of things. No, no, no. In in Germany, UK oh, okay, okay. UK does. Uh, UK has the NHS. When they started liber quote unquote liberalizing in the nineties, that's when they brought in the private people. Uh, I think it continued through the early two thousands. Maybe is when it was when it was going on. Uh, but in in Germany, I don't I don't believe they allow for profit healthcare to exist uh, for necessities. So you can go get plastic surgery or whatever, but that's not really healthcare to them. Yeah. So I guess there's the technical definition, and then the widely way that people heard uh, and when people use the word they kind of mean germany but the technical definition is just that uh single-payer health care is a public health care system funded by a tax levied to everyone um so it is uh, single-payer would apply to both germany and uk but most people would use it uh, colloquially just to apply to to a german style healthcare system wait so why how does it apply to the uk we should readdress this later i think we need to get this untangled if we're going to delve yeah. into this <laughs> so we no, i agree with art on that i think that we are actually a little low on time so let's go ahead and move away from sanders onto warren warren the i have a plan candidate uh, so what is initial thoughts about Warren's candidacy? Um, let's start with Treywick. I really like how wonky she is. I hate how socially unprepared she is for anything. And I'm really not sure if the country is ready for its first Native American president. It's a big step. As far as policy positions go, she's probably the most policy focused next to Andrew Yang among all candidates, minor and major. So that's, that's, you know, out of, yeah, that's a huge field. Expert. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge field. So that's, that's, that's kind of significant, but at the same time, like her candidacy, candidacy started off with the whole Pocahontas thing. And then like the next thing we hear about her is her, her drinking labelless beer in her kitchen and slapping her husband's ass right in front yeah. of the camera. <laughs> she had she, oh wow she had the worst like so awkward too the absolute worst first impression of any candidate and yet she's done she's done great since then but i i i just don't know if it's in the i don't know if she can overcome that honestly i think she can at least with uh the democratic base it seems like she's already come uh overcome her little dna test fiasco with them because she's eating into both sanders and biden's support that's who uh, 538 did a uh, little micro study on it. And they said, yeah, she seems to be eating into both. I th as far as the beer thing is concerned, I think that was more of uh, her trying to not accidentally endorse a particular beer. I think that was her legal team telling her not to accidentally endorse a beer. Yeah. Yeah. But that uh, was so fucking staged. Yeah. All of it. Let me just go. Get I don't know if it was all staged, but yeah. This is my honey who slaps the guy's ass. I'm sure she does that. I really love Warren, actually. Some of my problems with her is she's very easily offended and wants to play into outrage culture. And she has, like, no real charisma. But I like that she puts a lot of detailed thought into policy. And especially policies, I generally... Dylan, you had a point you wanted to make as well? I think that you were your point was valid in that 
among the Democratic base, they've kind of started to forgive her. But that's because they didn't really fault her for her her issues to begin with. As far as the Democratic primary goes, she has a chance. As far as the general election goes, I think she would be a weak candidate. If you look at the the few polls that have come out, the head-to-heads, Trump versus Warren, Trump wins in those polls, which is not Trump loses to most of the other Democratic candidates. So the fact that he wins over Warren, I think that's significant. I mean, early on, it's not so bad. If that holds, though, I guess that could definitely be a, a bad sign. Yeah, it is early. Polling right now means much of anything, uh, except within the field. Polling against Trump, the attack ads hasn't really started yet. He's gone back and forth about who he's been calling dumb, yada, yada, yada. Art, you have a point you'd like to make? About Warren uh, specifically is that she's starting to pick up in the polls because you have two candidates who are in the lead that don't really have any reason to be in the lead. So you have Biden, who people just like him because of electability which isn't a reason. And with Bernie, he's got that kind of you know, core of supporters for 2016 who haven't quite given up the dream, but that's not enough to build a campaign off of. So you kind of have these two almost like remnants that showed up strong, but they're not going anywhere. Bernie's not going to get bigger. Biden's not going to get bigger. They're kind of already at their natural cap. So the market, as if you will, is going to look at their other alternatives. Right now, because it's quiet and it's early, people are going to go to Warren because she's, you know, quote unquote, got a plan. But nobody cares about plans. You know, they don't care about policy. Unfortunately, when you get down to it, once you get a little bit more deep into Warren, I think those issues of charisma and, you know, people can say, oh, it's sexist to say that likability is an issue. But it's always been an issue for men. You have to look at the politicians we've had and realize that Reagan was charismatic. Clinton was charismatic, Obama was, Bush was. I mean, not happy Bush, uh, but he was a one-termer and he wrote on Reagan's coattails. That factor is extremely important. And Obama being a policy wonk wasn't half as important as the fact that he could give a good speech. So I think with Warren, she really does have a problem with that charisma. And I think that's ultimately going to hurt her in the end. But she is going to get a boomlet in the mean, in kind of the near term because she does have a little bit more substance to her than the other, the rest of the field. Exactly sure if I completely agree with you that she has zero charisma. I've seen her start to catch a little bit, I guess a spark will say right now, since it's still early, with her whole rolling up her sleeves. Although we all know that's probably a gimmick, it's still very much well-liked among a lot of people. But Yeah, so I think Elizabeth Warren's, her personality appeals to, she has the kind of personality that appeals very much to with her uh, and very much does not appeal to people who disagree. It's very polarizing because that's the kind of language she uses is polarizing language. And she frames things in the, in the sense of justice, right versus wrong. I feel like that's also how she frames her policies and that her policies, even though she is a policy wonk, they're very economic justice based as opposed to wonky, you know, you know the classical wonky type of, of policies. But I think that, you know, Bernie Sanders does the same thing and nobody would say that he has no charisma. Absolutely. I don't, I don't know. Wins. I don't think that's nece- necessarily a, a bad thing. I think people are well, looking for that grander vision that connects them with some sort of higher morality in, in their politics. I think that's very much being sought after. Because you have policy does not mean you don't have charisma. You know, Bernie actually has a bit of charm, comedic timing, and the ability to connect with an audience 
I love listening to Warren. I've listened to some of her speeches as, or uh, her lectures, I should say, on economics. And she'll get in and geek out, and I'll geek out with her. I actually enjoy her in the more uh, academic formats. But as far as like just talking to like a basic audience, I think that that's a natural talent that doesn't really connect with how academic you are. Some people can be academic and have that charismatic ability, and some people don't. It's just you have gears you can switch to or you can't. Bernie has an, a weird ability to a certain extent to do it uh, that Warren doesn't. That doesn't mean that they're both not policy strong. They both are policy strong. It's just Bernie actually has a little bit more going for him as far as the charm. When you talk about Elizabeth Warren being kind of a policy, you know, being policy forward, I would say that she's she is policy forward, but not necessarily on economics, as weird as that sounds, because you would think of her as an economic first candidate, but her specialty is economic law, which is very different than economics. Bankruptcy law, to be specific. Right. It's it, Which is approaching her from the perspective of, as, as an economist, you don't really get a whole lot of that. You have to approach her from, as, as a lawyer, which is what she is. But a lot of economic policy is shaped by law. Well, all economic policy is shaped by law. <laughs> all of it. Well, it is law. Well, yeah, that's what that's what I'm getting at. Lawyers usually get counseled by economists when they write those laws. Her policy strengths are interpretation of law, which is not the same thing as understanding how the mechanics of economics. I just think she doesn't upset enough right-wingers, and that just comes across as almost like she doesn't have a personality. Like, you have to be outrageous to, you know, the other people. Otherwise, you know, you're just not charismatic. I think most of them aren't very charismatic. Mm, I don't know, because I think, I, I don't know if I agree with that, because you have someone like Beto O'Rourke, who during his Senate campaign didn't really piss off a lot of right-wingers, yet he was considered a charismatic person. I, I don't know if it's necessarily the same for his presidential camp. Definitely has a, a different identity in, in the presidential campaign than he did during the Senate campaign. Uh, but yeah, I don't I don't know if I necessarily. Okay, um, I'm gonna disagree with Anthony in that Warren has like no charisma. I'm gonna disagree with Art though, in that I don't think that is the deciding factor, but it helps a fuck ton. I think. Warren's problem is that a lot of people are just going to automatically pile her on to uh, Clinton. She's not Clinton whatsoever. Yes, but I think that's sexism coming through a little bit, though. It is com completely. Um, we she will be associated with low charisma, shrill voice, all of that stuff, and it's just going to remind people of all the reasons they didn't want to vote for Clinton in 2016 but i actually think she's an amazing candidate I, I i actually do like warren as a candidate also but i i think matt has a point which is that yes she will absolutely be associated with clinton and yes that is sexism but to a degree but i mean it's it's not something that can be denied a lot of people are going to make that association whether it's sexism or not you have to you have to and there's the fact that uh, how important is policy to a candidacy, candidacy, and this is going back to what Art said earlier, which is that Hillary Clinton actually, as far as thoroughness uh, and comprehensiveness in policy platforms, Hillary Clinton in 2012 had one of the most comprehensive policy platforms of any modern candidate in history. She absolutely did. And it did her almost no good whatsoever. Well, think of the voting public. We encourage everyone to vote. And we we're getting a lot of the peanut gallery, so you don't need policy to win. You just like look at Trump. 
you just need to really capture their uh, partisan spirit, I guess. Hillary Clinton carried a lot of baggage with her. Things like, how do people donate $100,000 to your Senate campaign? Get mysteriously pardoned by your husband? And that when a lot of people look at their problems with politics, she's sort of a lightning rod for everything people... The Clintons made a lot of enemies throughout the decades. I would also say that I don't see Warren being less charismatic than John Kerry or Mitt Romney. In 2012, I made a point when I was starting up a blog and it didn't really go anywhere that Romney had the same issue that Kerry had, that he's about as interesting as a saltine cracker. Whereas Warren, I see, is kind of pulling in more people and is connecting with more people with, like I said, with some of her gimmicks and her plans. And as far as the policy is concerned between Warren and Clinton, Clinton never was able to establish the fact that she was policy focused. She got wrongly or rightly labeled as an identity politic panderer, right? But Warren constantly has that refrain. I have a plan and that is sticking in people's heads. And that's why everybody th knows that she has plans and vision in order to get things done. Yeah. Okay. But with your examples there of Romney and Kerry or Clinton, the common thread there is that none of them got elected. <laughs> exactly. But I would say that Kerry and Romney have less charisma than Warren does. Uh, arguably, but, but saying that she has more charisma than two candidates who lost, it doesn't necessarily mean she has enough charisma to win. And we haven't gotten to the first debate yet, so maybe she'll actually surprise all of us. Maybe she will, absolutely. And you know what? Like, I, I think you have a valid point, which is that she has a catchphrase now, and catchphrases are effective. They absolutely are. I don't think that charisma is the only thing. I think it's a really big help. I kind of look at this as a Colonel Blotto game, where you're sort of trying to fight over divided field and create more and more battlegrounds to fight over and that can help Warren. But I do think she's going to be hurt over largely sexist things where she's just going to be associated with Clinton no matter what. And she's going to hit a lot of the same uh, reasons people didn't want Clinton. And it's not going to be fair to her. Politics is never fair to anyone, but this is definitely uh, a sexist chord. But because she has the same uh, delivery and somewhat of the same reputation as Clinton on some level with the right, that this is going to just be a lightning rod hate. Okay, so there is one big difference in as, as far as how Warren will be considered compared to Clinton, which is that Clinton was kind of the ultimate establishment candidate. Warren, on the other hand, is kind of an anti-establishment candidate, despite all of the No, she's a creature of the establishment. I would say that she's kind of, we're going to go with Dylan on this one and say she's kind of a little bit of both. They built her from scratch. She's not as anti-establishment as Bernie, but she is, I would put her on that side of things. Uh, especially, well, maybe not now. I would say as time passes, she keeps moving farther and farther into establishment. That's natural. The longer you're around, the more people consider you established. But four years ago, Warren was, was strongly anti-establishment. That's not necessarily the case anymore, but she's still more anti-establishment uh, in public perception than she is establishment, I believe. 
I don't think that's true at all. After the Republicans blocked her from getting the CFPB position, she was brought by them. She was basically taken under their wing. She's their sidekick, really. Yeah, but she still has a lot of negative things to say. Like she is, she could potentially. She just says shit about banks. She could t- potentially be the consensus candidate because she has enough bona fide anti-established bona fides, but didn't go against the establishment hardcore like Bernie did in order to bridge those two divides. What are some examples of her anti-establishmentarianism? Two thousand six, her her taking the task Biden on the Senate committee uh, when they were talking about finance reform. The CFPB is pretty an- like was anti-establishment of its time. The the whole student student loan forgiveness. She was on that track, like probably probably not before Bernie, because Bernie's been I hate to say it, but Bernie's been Bernie for like eighty years, right? <laughs> but she's she was on that a lot before a lot of mainstream Democrats. The CFPB was a hundred percent establishment. I thought no, absolutely no. She created that herself. That she went to Obama and was like, "This is what we need." and just drilled it and she got that win yeah here's my problem that being to the left of biden is pretty much the only qualification you need to be sort of mainstaying in uh the democratic primaries right now that is not going to carry her anywhere yeah no, no, it won't. But that's what the debates are for, though. Elizabeth Warren was clearly and firmly anti-establishment. She was the Bernie wing pretty much up until the moment that she endorsed Hillary Clinton, which happened after the primary, if I don't, if I'm not mistaken. Oh right? yes, yeah, it happened after the primary. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't know if people will perceive her as anti-establishment, though. The establishment fought tooth and nail for the CFPB. I'm still trying to figure out how that was anti-establishment. Did the banks fight tooth and nail for it, Matteo? Because are the banks the democratic establishment? Um, they're a very large part of the establishment. They're the part that backed Clinton. They're the part that's continuously backed Biden. Yeah, but the democratic establishment pushed hard for the CFPB. Whether or not the banks did isn't entirely relevant. They're not that a part of that establishment, and they're definitely- sure lots of things are parts of the establishment, like all the unions and everything that did back it. Like more. More Democratic establishment members backed it than didn't back it. I don't think it's fair to call the bank or the uh, unions a part of the Democratic establishment. To be I, I think Labor, we need to rights organizations, all of them. They backed it like right away. Americans for Financial Reform was created like right by all of them, and they backed it like instantly. The 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 thing that I think everyone is missing is the fact that because Obama got behind it is a reason why a lot of the Democrats got behind it. Obama at the time was really the Democratic's golden boy. Anything that he would support, they would jump on. So once Warren convinced him that it was a good idea, granted, I don't know how the, the negotiations actually went within in there, but once that once Obama backed it, that got most of the other people in line. And that's when it crossed the line into being establishment. I would say, it, but it's not though, because there's there was key sectors of the like Mateo was or not Mateo. I'm sorry, like Trawick was saying, that did not back it and fought it tooth and nail throughout. Turn that's why banks? a lot of it. That's why a lot of it got weakened during the negotiations within the Senate. Not not just banking, like bank, like Wall Street like banking. Was- well, yes, but it wasn't just banking because the, the the you have you had still a fairly large contingent 
of blue dog Democrats that were against it. The people who supported the Dodd-Frank bill, do you think they were against the CFPB or for it? Because they were establishment as almost can be. The CF or the uh, Dodd-Frank act got watered down immensely as well. Barney Frank was considered super cozy with Wall Street. What did he say about CFPB? I don't. I couldn't tell you. I'm pretty sure Biden was against Dodd Frank and Biden. Who do you think Biden's contributors are, Matteo? Uh, I don't know. Was he Biden was against the Dodd Frank bill? Uh, contributors are the banking industry. So what? Tons of people have contributors, and I could pull the same connections. It doesn't make any. It doesn't make it what's controlling him. Um, yeah, um, things like Bank of America hired his son on, we can argue about whether or not that's, um... Even so, like, what if, what if they did? Let's say they are all working in backroom deals and Biden's doing bad stuff. I don't understand what that, how that's inconvenient for me. Okay, I think it sort of shows a pattern that a lot of the people who pull the strings in the back room were very against these things, and the moment they could get them overturned, they did. Were Biden's dealings establishment, or were they behind the scenes and hidden from other people because of how egregious they are? Assuming he actually did these things with these banks, like take the money and then start doing their bidding. I think Art has a point that he'd like to jump in between you two. Right? Yeah, just really quick. Um, yeah, I have to agree with Mateo on this. I think that looking at Warren as an anti-establishment candidate, Maybe, you know, in years past, uh, when she was kind of a freshman senator and had a lot of ideas that were a little bit newer, you know, you could look at it like that. But as far as like anti-establishment, you know, that's talking about a, a change to the underlying assumptions of the Democratic Party that I, I think that a reformer like Warren, I mean, she brought in some ideas, Obama backed them, it became part of the party. It's not a revolution. It's a maybe reform or modernization. Oh, uh, and just to, as far as like the Warren versus Bernie, like you look at policies that are very, very similar, but you know, they're thinking about outcomes that are much different you know, as far as the whole structure of how everything's run. That's why these people who love Bernie also love Tulsi. And you think, why don't you go from Bernie to Warren when the policies are so similar? But it's ultimately not as much about the policies, it is about disrupting the power center. Warren's not there to disrupt the power center. She wants to kind of make it her own and direct it in, you know, more liberal or, or however you want to define it. But, you know, policies are more in line with her thinking. And the people like Bernie or Tulsi or their supporters, you know, they're kind of like, like Trumpists of the left. I mean, they want to blow up the system and re remake it. So the policies matter a lot less than the remaking of the structure of these people. Yeah, um, and... Some of those regards, I agree with Art. I think Warren is more establishment than Bernie, but I think it's hard to be less establishment than Bernie and still have a viable campaign. I definitely agree with uh, Art on the grounds that Bernie supporters in general just want to destroy the system. That is a lot of why they flop towards people like Tulsi. Granted, I also think Tulsi's been actively courting them for a while, but I still think it's fair to say Warren is more anti-establishment, but if she's elected, most of her ideas will become the new establishment. 
I can agree with that. Mateo, you had something that you wanted to add? Uh, yeah. Uh, after Warren didn't get the CFPB job, like she became a major chess piece for the establishment, and they made her basically in her image after that. That's how she became senator. They like really pushed for her. Yeah, she was recruited. I do remember that. They pulled out a ton of stops. Like they really, it was almost like revenge for the Republicans not giving her the job because she was perfect for that job. Like as much as I could say bad about her, she was perfect for that job, and they just blocked her. And then, in almost like in a McConnell-esque way, Democrats got him back. Yeah, but I, I also because I saw the first time I was introduced to uh, Warren was in 2006 in the documentary called "Maxed Out Our Credit." I saw it on like Showtime or some shit. When I saw her for that first time, I knew that she was going to get in politics. Yeah, she was a big name in like a bankers, the bankruptcy law world. She's a uh, I'm not sure what she's done, but I've always heard like she was pretty good. I don't know if it's just in academia or if she actually had cases or what. I don't know that much about her. In academia, she's very widely regarded. There's the whole scandal with her placing her name in the minority. Oh, sure. I'm just talking about her like expertise in bankruptcy law. I feel like she's uh, pretty highly regarded. She is. She's also a damn good scholar, but I do think there are legitimate ethical concerns. With you placing yourself in a minority directory that is largely used by colleges to find minorities to fill roles. I mean, it was so long ago, though. It's like, I mean, I definitely agree with you. It'd be unethical in a way. Just because it happened so long ago, I can't really hold that against her too much. I like to joke about it. It makes for great memes, but... Like, whenever she was asked about it, she was just like... Well, yeah, but I didn't do it to get hired. I wanted to find minorities like me. <laughs> what? I think that was such a big part of her own personal identity because of the whole story thing that she was just basically a dumb white person and couldn't let it go until very recently. And when I say very recently, I mean like when she lost. I think she knew what checking that box off could get her. Like, we all kind of know in the back of our heads when we see that type of stuff. I don't know. But just, I mean, they have families that tell them things about, oh, you know, your great-great-aunt so-and-so was actually a Cherokee, whatever. And, I mean, that was really common. And a lot of people just don't know any better. I mean, all you kind of know about your background is what your parents tell you. I'll just, until you really get DNA tests, I mean, even now, people get DNA tests. I mean, they didn't know that their uncle was a serial killer. And these guys are getting rolled up. You know, there's a lot going on with the whole, you know, DNA testing and kind of dissecting people's past that shows them that what they thought was their, you know, okay, heritage isn't, isn't the case. Should she have put herself in a minority directory designed to get more minorities hired? And should she, uh, she should. first stated, I just wanted to find minorities like me. No, but that wasn't the only thing, dumb thing that she did in this. She also uh, submitted a recipe to a cookbook. Like, so this was not just a one-off thing. <laughs> like, True. Powwow chow, it was called. <laughs> yeah, it was fucking ridiculous, right? Yeah. But it is like peak, like, ignorant white people about race thing. Like, that's the way I well, look at it. Well, what Art said was kind of fair, though. Yeah. She was brought up to believe she was. It's almost like a exactly. religious person. You know, you can get them to believe anything, really, if you raise them that way. And and to go on that point, in my own personal family's history uh, of mythology, I'm supposedly related to Blackbeard the Pirate. I was told that when I was 10. What do you think that made me think? <laughs> like, come on. Right. I'm related to uh, Evan Stone. Fucking awesome. I'm just really skeptical. 
of the it, it's just really convenient for you professionally to do all these things what year was this though the 80s i believe yeah it was like the late 80s when everybody was like oh i'm not really white i'm like this other thing but go ahead art no just that uh i mean l- let's just take it at face value and say okay let's just assume that she wasn't at all fooled and she knew that she was an american indian in any way and just maliciously decided to do that how does that stack up against her opponent true um <laughs> that's a great point and do you want to know something I really don't care because most of her positions I agree with. Like like the thing earlier when I'm like, if you just tell me what I want to hear and I think you will advance things, I believe in. I'll vote for you. I'm not looking for an ethical politician. I'm looking for a politician who will advance things I want. Well, yeah, and even if you have, you know, people, who they are, people are people, and we've done done stuff in the past that we thought was a good idea, we thought we wouldn't get caught or whatever, and then it blows up. That's true of 100% of humans. And if this is Warren's thing where we caught her being maliciously sneaky about a past that she knew to be false, eh, it's not the worst thing in the world. By, I wouldn't even like, call it malicious. Like, so. you know, she was doing it more selfishly than any malice the one thing that i rub up against because i agree with that and i even agree with her doing it my problem is whenever i try to dissect the specifics of what happened with democrats i get inundated with links they didn't read <laughs> at support conclusions they don't want to admit on the situation and I, I think another thing that we should we should uh, take into account with this is that her method of apology is actually really effective with the people that care about this sort of thing, which is why she's overcoming it within that group. Releasing her DNA results was really effective. That's not what I saw. No, 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 no. Like once she released the DNA results, the backlash that she got from that, she then apologized. And said, hey, I understand, you know, this doesn't make me a tribe member. I understand why this, you know, was, was offensive to people. You know, I was, she basically just said, I was an ignorant white person. Can you please forgive me? And people were like, yeah, that's all we really wanted to hear. So that's why I don't think this is going to be yeah, that major of an issue, at least within the Democratic Party. I just think it's more fun than anything else. It's a major issue for regular American Joe. In the general, it's definitely a vote about Trump. So we'll probably be able to predict where that goes, but in the primary, it might be hard. No, I think in the primary, it won't hurt her as much. I think it will hurt her more in the general election. It depends, man. If Black Lives Matter, Matter wants to target her, it could go south real quick with these people. I mean... I don't think they will, though, because of how she apologized. Yeah, that may be true. Like, her technique and her ability to kind of connect with audiences, and, and I think that the apology is part of it, is not good, but she's definitely improving. So if she can keep improving, then she may be able to outpace it. Right. And, and this is a, another thing. Like, she seems to be able to thread this economic and, like, identity politics needle, despite her failings, better than Bernie Sanders, in my opinion. Art, do you have something that you wanted to add? Just real quick, is that um, while I, I kind of agree with all that, I think that once you kind of get to the end, I think that we are going to see Bernie and uh, Biden fall off, not for any major reason other than there's just not as much to them at first glance as it kind of looks. Whereas by this time, 
you know, certainly in the spring, uh, but, you know, late fall, winter. I really think that Warren and Harris are going to take the lead. And I think that ultimately, I, I imagine Harris is going to pull ahead because when you get down to it, you don't have this nuanced issue with Harris as far as like the interface with race because she's black. So that's going to kind of short circuit a lot of the thinking there. And I think that Warren is improving. She's getting a lot better. I just, I don't know if she's going to be able to go the distance. And even though Harris is not doing well right now, I think she's a sleeper. I, I feel like she's going to be able to ultimately be the last one. Standing. I think it's better to actually do better to not do well at the beginning, like Jeb Bush type of thing. I don't, I think people get tired quick. Right. They yeah, turn into MySpace in a matter of speaking. I think Warren actually has more staying power than Biden, definitely. Um, I think Biden's going to continuously say stupid things. And my problem with Biden is I think 90% of the time he means to make gaffes. Like that whole thing with gay marriage, I honestly think was a plot with him and Obama that was like, this is the correct time where we can say this. Let's say this now and pass it off as a gaffe. But now Biden's in a territory where he's making legitimate accidental gaffes. You know, the segregationist didn't call me boy. It's, I think, Harris will come across as a lot more effective there. But I think uh, Booker's already torn into him, and that's been effective too. But I think Bernie does have um, actual staying power, mostly because there's a large segment of people who are liberals who despise the Democratic Party, and he's pretty much the face of that. I honestly think that they're not that big of a factor, though. Um, they're not a huge factor, but they create a natural base for him. And a lot of people who are generally disenfranchised with the Dems will gravitate towards him. Yeah, the left actually is a lot more fragmented just naturally. So they're going to have those more, um, I don't know what to call them, uh, countercultural people within their own ranks. And those people do gravitate towards Bernie. Every country? Is that the left is more fragmented than the right? Yeah, it's just something, it's a phenomenon that occurs. Traditionalist thinking. Kind of the reason that uh, whenever music analysts study music, country music is a lot more specific than rock music is. Because rock music has to appeal to a lot of different audiences. While country music has one audience in particular downtrodden white people okay so does anybody have one any last points they would like to make about the three candidates we're about at time now so if anybody has something to say please do so now they all have horrible horrible opinions on guns and they also don't care to learn about guns i'm always gonna do it <laughs> uh treywick you have any last thoughts boo mateo Art, how about you? Gosh, I don't know. Um, I think that I think that these uh, upcoming debates are going to be very interesting as far as not just what people say, but how they say it. And a lot of the subconscious uh, reads that people take off of these candidates are going to start to get formed. 
So any of these guys that look too old or they, they have lost a step, this is really what is going to be starting to hurt them. You know, people are going to be able to see them. They might not have seen Bernie in a while. They might not have seen Biden in a while. But for whatever reason, Biden is kind of hiding out from the press. Like, you don't really see him, even though the press is interested in him. Like, he's not, not really appearing anywhere. Whereas, like, I don't know, I feel like you can't turn around without running into Bernie or Warren or whoever. So we'll, we'll get a good read on Well, I think that uh, is all the time that we have tonight. Uh, I hope that everybody enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next time.